Thanks for getting up early, Waz. Appreciate it this week, man. No problem, man. It's no problem. We got if we if we get the opportunity in a time like this to talk to a young black head coach in the NBA, the most you know, the the league, the most visible league that is so closely identified as being quote unquote black. Right. Right? Like we say this all the time on here. The NBA is the black league. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> like that's just what it is, right? And the demographics of the NFL are not dissimilar from the NBA. But, I, you know, and I want to reiterate this to people. When you turn on ESPN for Monday Night Countdown, they're not playing Kendrick Lamar. Right. They're not playing <laughs> J. Cole, okay? <laughs> they're playing Hank Williams. Right, right. Okay? Right. And there's a reason for that. Right. That's right? right. That's, That's those right. are choices. Those are conscious choices that these organizations make, these corporations make. Um, and yeah. the NBA makes a different choice. Right. No doubt. And that comes with certain things. That's why I just think it's important that we always highlight that to our listeners. We're not just making this up. Like, this is what it is. Right. It, it's, it's real. Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to Who Comma is. On the Athletic Podcast Network. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and like the bullshit in his bracket, I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than that. With David, David Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then he yeah. kept their lungs out in front of everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. It was Lambre. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship money to so can't pay for the charters for the water polo <laughs> in Iowa. <laughs> Iowa. Welcome to Hoops. Five, four, we have ignition. And welcome to another edition of Hoops Adjacent. I am David Aldrich in D.C. It's cloudy today, but I'm going to get this walk in before it rains. In L.A., my man Waz Lambre. Waz, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. We, we got a little break from the heat wave, and so, you know, I'm I'm enjoying the high 70s, low 80s weather, man. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't lie. 98 was kicking my ass last week. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit much. That's a bit much for anybody. We are very, very uh, pleased to have this week as our guest, the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks, Lloyd Pierce. Lloyd, thank you for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's all it's all good. Man, I'm, I, there's so much I want to talk to you about because there's so much going on in the world. Um, can we start, if, if it's okay, with you're going to the rally on Monday in Atlanta and, and speaking to the crowd. Um, had you had you ever done that before in terms of actually speaking to a crowd rather than just going to a rally or to a march? Not so much in the in the in the way of a, I guess you'd call it a, a rally or a protest. No, I, I've never done that. Um, you know, as a head coach, even as an assistant coach, you, you're used to speaking to crowds. You know, at camps and events and, and things of that nature, but um, not not something that's uh, dealing with people's lives and fighting for people's lives and something of that magnitude and seriousness. I, I hadn't done that before. So I, I wonder how you got to that point where you just felt like you wanted to speak on it. You know what I mean? Not, not just that somebody may, may have asked you, but you really wanted to speak about police brutality and racism and these systemic problems that we're trying to deal with. You know, I always go back to, to when I got hired and as a head coach, you assume certain responsibilities of leadership for the city that you coach in. And, and 
we represent the city of Atlanta and, and we all know the history of Atlanta and what this city means and this this amazing city and what it means to be here and be from here and to live here. And so you assume the responsibility of leadership. And so this is this is a call to action and this is a call to action for all leaders here in the city to to step up, to speak out and to try and, you know, be a part of the solution. You know, we have a huge platform here in the city of Atlanta and we need to be a part of the solution in any any way that we can. And, and all of us do, you know, from our owner to our CEO, to our, our GM, to, to myself, to our players, uh, to the employees. As a leader, you must exemplify uh, what's necessary. And so I just think that's just one of the assumed responsibilities of leadership uh, that I had to step into. We had our colleague Marcus Thompson on a few weeks ago, and he talked about how he would like to see, um, you know, it's not just about the NBA as an entity or a conglomerate of, you know, different different businesses coming together to, to hoop. He would like to see those places, you know, sort of invest in the communities that they're in, right? Like locally, um, exactly the way that you guys have done in Atlanta, right? Like it's not the NBA as a league, it's the Atlanta Hawks in their community making a difference. Is that something you guys, you and the players have talked about or, you know, how, how did this initiative even come together? It's something that I'm doing and, and I'm, okay. I'm committed to working on with regards to helping our city, helping our community, but also making making the conversation about what's going on with racial discrimination and profiling and, you know, the law enforcement issues that are that are coming up. I mean, it's it's a it's a greater topic than even me trying to minimize it right now. But so I, I'm trying to take the initiative to educate myself on on, you know, what are some of the problems and what can I do? And that's, you know, we've we've formed this committee with the head coaches it's our responsibility to educate our players and communicate with our players. And then it's it's their pro- their priority and their ability to engage however they can. You know, it's not my job to say you must go out and help with the voting or you must go out and protest. That That's not how it works. Right. Um, we have to educate them and they have to have the passion and the ability to use their platforms to do whatever they feel is necessary or whatever they can. I, I can't imagine, you know, at 21, at 23 knowing what to do. And so to put pressure on them is not, is not the, 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 uh, the motive is to educate them about what's really happening. Cause this is different. We all know this is a different movement right now, uh, for all of us and for 21 year old, for this to happen this early in their lives, um, where they're impacted by it and they're feeling it, they're looking for help and education to know a little bit more about the severity of the situation. So I, I wondered along those lines, Lloyd, I mean, you obviously had the, the tragic situation with the young man getting killed outside the Wendy's the other night in Atlanta, and it doesn't make Atlanta unique, certainly. Um, but it does kind of People tend to look towards uh, public figures, athletes, entertainers uh, for kind of guidance and leadership on those things. And how do you, you know, as a leader of that team, deal with or, or respond to young your young men saying, hey, coach, I want to do something. I want to I want to have a voice. I want to say something. I'm angry. You know what I mean? Like, I'm really upset about this. And I want people to know I'm upset about it. And you want to be able for them to express themselves. But obviously, if they haven't been educated or they don't know as much as other people, 
they can leave themselves open to criticism. So how do you kind of balance those those two competing desires on the part of players or anybody else in the organization that wants to speak up? Yeah, I mean, I've said it since we really started addressing the issue as an organization and as a team. And one of the things I've said is don't don't mistake my passion with, with anger. Uh, as an African-American man, we've been angry for a long time with when you right. see other African-American men being killed, uh, racially profiled, you know, the stuff you constantly see. There was an issue last night yeah. with five young men having a gun pulled on them by a police officer who's shaking who's shaking. He, I mean, he's terrified as he has his gun out and they're just walking through their neighborhood and taking a shortcut to get to the little store. Uh, right. And so you're angered by that. I've been angered by that for every time you see it, you're disgusted and you're bothered. Mm-hmm. But when I spoke to our group, I said, don't mistake my energy as anger. This is passion. I, I'm, I'm, I'm more charged up now to be a part of the solution than I've ever been. Because of the anger, I, I'm not going to let the anger control what I say or what I do. I'm going to let the passion uh, and the hope and the belief that I have a platform and I can do something about it. And I expressed that to our team. I told them I was vulnerable. I told them I was I was having a lot of issues, you know, during the week of the George Floyd incident, the Amy Cooper incident. Uh, and I said, but my passion right now is that I, I care about you guys. I care about my daughter. I care about myself and I care about addressing this issue. And I'm passionate about it. And that's all I've been focused on. Um, and I said, for you guys, understand you're going to have a mic in your face. You're going to have someone asking you questions about these things. Uh, so it's it's up to you. It's almost an obligation for you to be educated on what's going on and what your take is on the matter. And, and that's where you get educated. Education isn't just get up and read. It's talk to people. It's find out what's really going on and find out why. Uh, so you have you can formulate an opinion about the matter from an, uh, a standpoint of being educated and being aware. It's hard to do that in real time. Right. I mean, it's just hard to kind of educate yourself and have these opinions. But it's almost, as you said, required in this time. And it's kind of it's kind of what I think about what people how people are reacting to Kyrie Irving. Like, don't don't mistake the messenger for the message. You know what I mean? Like. He's bringing up points that need to be brought up. And even though you may think he's an imperfect messenger, that doesn't mean his message is bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's the Kaepernick situation. People have asked me, they've asked me in all the interviews that I've done, you know, are you going to support your players if they decide to kneel? And I say the same thing. I'm going to support my players that want to draw attention and keep attention on the real issues at hand. I said, I don't, I'm not too concerned on the act. If they want to kneel, if they want to throw a fist up in the air, if they want to link arms, they want to wear a T-shirt. I'm not going to sit here and keep focusing on the act. And that becomes the, that's the title. That's the headline. That's everything. Everyone right. wants it. And now we've ignored the real point, which is the issue at hand that, that Kaepernick talked about, which is, you know, discrimination and race issues and, and police brutality and Let's keep talking about that. And I will support anyone that's willing to, to talk about it. And so what Kyrie's situation is, you know, and you have to, we, we understand when you have a mic put in front of you and, you know, someone takes your message the wrong way. Well, that's now the, that's the topic. That's the conversation. Uh, so you, you want to be educated in terms of what you can do, uh, how you say it, knowing that you're going to be critiqued, but that's that shouldn't hold you back from saying what you need to say and and, and being who you need to be. Coach, I'm I'm kind of glad you mentioned the age of of some of your guys, right? Like even on the high end, 
uh, an NBA player is like 28 years old, <laughs> right? Like, um, and, and that skews 28. That's, I don't have any 28 year olds. He'd love some 28 years. There old. you go. <laughs> exactly. Like 28 even skews older in the league. And so when I hear people talk about, well, these NBA players, they have these platforms and they can change the world and they can do all these things. You know, what I hear is, you know, guys who have been highly specialized in their lives so far. You know, it's one basketball thing after another. Not to say that they can't learn anything about the world, but when you work this hard to get to this position, your life has been, you know, made in such a way that you've concentrated on basketball, right? And at the age of 21, 20, um, it's hard for me to believe that these guys have amassed this great perspective on, you know, the ills of society, um, what do you hear when people talk about their platform, so to speak? Like I, I've applauded all of our players in our league because it, it isn't a league where our players feel prohibited. I think it's quite the opposite. I think our players are looking to build their brand, their platform, and do more with their platform. Obviously, this is a social issue, but I think from an endorsement issue, from a marketing issue, they've always used their platform and looked for ways to to expand that brand, expand that, that platform that they have. I think now what we're seeing is um, our players are even more progressive and uh, willing to speak out, to speak on, you know, tough topics and I applaud the guys. I, I, I think that's the best thing that we have going in our league is our players aren't afraid to use their platform for things that are greater than, than themselves and greater than basketball. Do you think people will become too distracted from watching playoff P and Kawhi Leonard chase the championship? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I think, well, think about this. And, and cause I, I, I was a, I was a victim of it as well. When when the coronavirus hit, you know, the first three weeks, you're just looking at CNN and, and all you're doing is you're just, yeah. you're, it's over, it's overblown. No one knew at the time about the coronavirus. No one knew enough information, but everything you heard was this thing could be this, this thing could be that it could be deadly. It could happen. But these were all speculations. You have to do this. Should you wear masks? And you're just constantly at this after about two weeks, you just fear and doubt and, and insecurity. You have no idea what's going on, but you're scared and you're looking at numbers just climb. And so I just had to stop watching CNN and I needed something else to, to really just kind of ease my mind. Uh, we weren't going anywhere. We're sheltered in. Now what? So I think the same thing, you know, with sports, it's not going to be a, it's, it's going to be a necessary distraction. We, we need to stop. You know, watching, you know, there's when you watch the protests, you're only seeing the fires and you're seeing a lot of the looting and you're seeing a lot of the, the confrontation with the police. You're not seeing the peaceful protests and the people that are kneeling for eight minutes and 46 seconds, the people that are unified, the people that are uh, rallied together and they're really feeling empowered being out there. You just don't see that. And so I think we can control what we see when we have sports and when we need to check on the news and not just be glued to our TVs and seeing the violence and the rage. That does create a lot of fear. I tell you, Coach, my, my journalism professor in college used to always say, we don't do stories on planes that land on time and cars that drive on the right, right. side of the road. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, it's kind of, that's kind of the business we've chosen, right? right? So um, I wanted to, I also wanted to um, piggyback on, on something you and Waz were talking about. And I just love this. And I saw this in the story uh, in the 
Atlanta Journal Constitution about your speech that that the team is considering or at least talking about potentially offering to have the arena um, be used as a polling place for the election. And I think that's just a fantastic idea. And I, and I love it. And I just wonder if you know anything more about it and, and, you know, what, I guess what the next steps would be to see if try and make that happen. Yeah. I mean, I wish I knew it was a, it was an idea. I know that our, our organization, our CEO, Steve Coonan, our organization, um, as we're in this, this, this planning stage of what we can do as an organization and as a city for the city moving forward, obviously there's been some voter suppression issues and on election day, the last couple of elections here in the state of Georgia, right. um, and specifically here in, here in, uh, in, uh, Atlanta and Fulton County and parts of DeKalb County. Um, so I, I just think, um, what a magnificent idea, uh, to really open up the arena, increase uh, voter participation, uh, make it accessible, increase the volunteers, increase the technicians if needed for the voting machines, uh, be able to be a part of that awareness and registration campaign to get more voters signed up and educated, um, it's right in the heart of the city. It's right downtown. Uh, so how we go about doing it, I don't know. Is it possible? I don't know. But I think it's a tremendous idea. I think a greater idea is for every all 30 cities uh, in the NBA to do the exact same thing and, yeah. and right. make that an NBA initiative and, and really try and push that forward um, with the platform we have, the reach that we have um, and, and making it. it's a right. Let's exercise our right to vote. Let's encourage and then let's make it easy and accessible for, for everyone in our communities to do so. You know, we're talking about a lot of the conversation tends to, and I think rightfully so, tends to be skewed towards the players in the NBA because it is a predominantly black league, right? And these issues that afflict um, black people in this country, um, it's only natural that people would look to them. But I want to know how you feel about the owners and their role in this, because the history of this is that they basically get to benefit only from their proximity to blackness and black people. Um, very rarely do they ever have to stick their noses um, in the mud when it's the hard parts of being a black person in this country. What do you think the owners of the NBA as people who, you know, they call themselves partners of the players in partnership with the players. What's their role in this struggle um, for, you know, black people to reach full equality in America? You know, there, there was a, I've, I've read the book white fragility and in the book, she, she highlights that the narrative in every sector and in every industry is controlled by white men. Um, uh, you know, 29 of our 30 teams are owned by white men. I got an article the other day about all the companies in Hollywood, Netflix, uh, ESPN. I mean, everywhere, white men, white men, everybody. And, and it's, sure. and it's that's, the athletic. Let's be real. <laughs> so as you continue to go through like it, the burden does come back until it uh, until it's until everyone's affected by how they've benefited from it, especially white men in our society who are the CEOs, the owners, the presidents. Um, you know, until they understand that they've benefited from it in a way that African-American men have not and actually have been suppressed by it, um, there won't be any change. And so we, we need our owners in our league to understand the severity of the issue 
and, and be a part of the solution. I've spoken to our owner, Tony Ressler, and he's been tremendous in what can we do, speaking out on the issue. And then we have, we're going to have weekly conversations as an organization about what are the necessary steps that the Atlanta Hawks can take in moving forward, not only to help the, org- the organization put together some initiatives to invest into the community, um, but what he can do individually, and he's extremely passionate about it. He's extremely passionate about what he knows, which is finance. And he wants to improve the economic literacy and access uh, for African-Americans at HBCU level um, and, and beyond so that they have opportunity. That's something that he and I have talked about. But but he's been with that way with our players as well. And I know he's passionate about this, but he's he's been tremendous for me. You know, I know there's a perception issue of when owners should say something and what they should show that they're doing. Uh, but everything that we we're committed to doing as, a, as an organization, everything we're committed to doing with the uh, coaches association is about lasting and sustainable change and not just immediate reactions. You know, you mentioned the Coaches Association. We had Rick Carlisle on a few weeks ago. And I am curious about that because the the the, the difference between what NBA coaches feel comfortable talking about and what coaches in every other sport at every other level seem comfortable talking about, it's like a gulf. It's unbelievable um, how, how big it is. I mean, you just saw this week at Oklahoma State – with uh, with their players speaking out and just the, the in utter inability for coaches in college football to speak with any clarity on this is just mind boggling to me. But that's another topic. And I just wonder, you know, like, what do you anticipate in, in your conversations that the coaches as a group may be able to do to kind of um, lend their lend their voice to this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's being unified was the first goal. How, how can we unify all 30 of our head coaches? We coach 75% African-American men in our league, right? you know, which, which is <laughs> over 350 athletes, I believe. Right. You're looking at a tremendous number of men that we're responsible. And, and how do we educate them? At first is being unified. We, we wanted to be on the same page in our approach to dealing with this, this social injustice for African-Americans in our country and, and the history of it. And so now that's why we're being educated and we're having speakers come in to address us as a group and what we can do. And one of the things that we've been um, guided towards is community building, building trust in our cities and building trust through a lot of programs that are catered towards education, helping African-American communities learn about the history, helping uh, our communities acknowledge the issues of African-Americans in our history, in our country. You know, most organizations have these programs where they go out and they build courts and they do a lot of different things throughout the city. But if we can if we can tie in the history and the education and have these tough conversations, I think we're on a we're on a path to where we can help build future leaders, but also build trust in our community. And then slowly start working towards some other things like police reform and, and you know, things of that nature that we're, none of us are experts in. We've tried to partner with as many local organizations um, that we can that are on the ground that are addressing some of the other issues, the legal issues and the, the social reform and the policy reform and policy issues at NAACP and ACLU and the Urban League. And that's really kind of where we are as coaches, being unified, trying to build trust educate ourselves, our players, our communities, and then partner with as many local organizations as we can to help move some of these things into action. 
You know, when I was a young man, I would just raid my father's Old Spice when I wanted to smell good, when I wanted to impress the girls, when I wanted to impress Vicky Tolliver at the prom. <laughs> I, I rolled out the Old Spice. But you know what? Times are different now, and it's Father's Day. And so if you want to get that gift for your dad or your brother or, or the man in your life, you probably should look into Hawthorne. And I, I defer to people that are regular users. And Waz, you are a regular and happy Hawthorne user. So tell us about Dave, it. Dave, let me tell you something, man. The Hawthorne sent me two colognes. This ain't cool water now. Okay, this is <laughs> this is elegant. This is cool personified. Um, you know, it's a quick survey that you take. I think the survey takes about two minutes. And yes. they have fifty thousand variations of their product and they make it specially made, catered towards you individually. Um, I know me personally, I love the exfoliating soap. Uh, the, 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 the cologne again that I mentioned, they send both a work and a play. Both versions are pristine. Um, and, and the, and the shampoo and conditioner are just unmatched, honestly. And again, it's tailored to what you like in a shampoo, what you look for in a conditioner. Um, don't go out there and buy these three in one type of products that are terrible at all three functions. Um, <laughs> Hawthorne actually, they put a lot of work and research into the products and from what I've been using so far, the results have been just incredible. My woman thinks I smell amazing. My hair and scalp is about as moisturized as could possibly be, David. And you know, in the summertime, that's that's important now for the brothers. Oh, yeah, we, we yeah we get a little ashy and, and, and come on a little now, dry in the summertime. And, and, and so and so, you, you guys should definitely check them out. Father's Day is coming up. You can take the survey for your dad. Just ask some very quick, um, rudimentary questions, and you can get this thing done in no time. So you guys should definitely be checking out Hawthorne. It is totally risk-free. You get free shipping and you get free returns if it doesn't work out. So check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase, hawthorne.co. I, 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 there's no good transition from all of that. We've been talking yeah, about was, the basketball. I was waiting for you to do it, <laughs> hey, there's no, there's no way, There's no good way to do it. So we'll just do it and just then just do the best we can. But, um, you know, your team is not going to the bubble. And I wonder if you're – if you're disappointed in that or if you're relieved? <laughs> no, I mean, we're disappointed because we can't play basketball in, in, the right. that, um, in the sense that, like everyone else, basketball was taken away from us. So we understand that. And so when the opportunity that basketball will resume, we felt everyone should have the opportunity for basketball to resume because it was taken away from us. And that's unfortunate. And I get all of the circumstances, but you're disappointed. Still still gives us the right to stay disappointed and pissed off that we can't play competitive basketball, uh, mainly because where we are as an organization with our team and the, the amount of – we're the youngest team in the NBA. Uh, game experience and competition are so vital and important for our development and growth. You know, We're creatively now trying to figure out how we can get some of that uh, into our into our guys, you know, training again, competing again, playing against NBA talent uh, so that we can 
so we can improve. You guys had such an uneven year, and I think a lot of it had to do with the amount of injuries that you sustained the key guys like Horter and Collins. Um, I remember when I saw you guys in L.A. against the Clippers, I was pretty impressed by DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish on the defensive end, which is a place where you guys struggled and not that they were locking guys down the entire season. It's just, I could see the potential there and those guys got a decent amount of minutes. Um, what did you think of their development, particularly on the defensive end of the floor, which is where you guys, you know, struggle for the most part this season? Yeah. I mean, at that point, I wouldn't even say decent amount of minutes. They were getting Unbelievable amount of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, we're going into L.A. and you got the Clippers and Lakers on back-to-back nights. All right, yep. Paul George, or the start of the season for Paul George, and then LeBron the next night. Right. <laughs> that's DeAndre's matchup and, and Cam Reddish's right. matchup. And so I, I'm, I'm extremely pleased with those two young men. I think they're going to be uh, all defensive level players mm. okay. down the line. Um, in different ways, you know, DeAndre is, is one of those guys that can, that can really, you know, switch one through four and, you know, compete against the five. And, and as he gets stronger, he's only 21, maybe 22 as he gets stronger and he starts to learn tendencies and things of that nature. He was ACC defensive player of the year on a national championship team. Uh, give him a couple of years. And I think he's going to be a, I think he's going to be an all level defender and Cam Reddish. He, he's, he's different. Like he's a playmaker defensively. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he'll get still. He's in the passing lanes. You know, he can lock guys down one on one. You know, he doesn't mind taking chances and, and, and trying to make plays. And, and I think, you know, at his size, his athleticism, his instincts, um, he's the same. He, re, he does remind me of Paul George defensively um, with that size, frame, length, long wingspan, ability to get in the passing lane and do things. And there, you know, I don't even think Cam is 21. So I, I'm, I'm not worried about. You know, are they, you know, where are we defensively and can they improve or we need to go get they just have to grow up and we have to give them some time to grow up. And I'm com- extremely confident in their ability to, to grow into uh, top notch uh, two way players. Well, along those lines, Lloyd, you, you obviously, you know, you got Capella in the trade and, you know, really next to no time with him on the floor. Right. I mean, just very little time with him on the court. So. Um, at least with the other guys, they've they've played for you for a year or or more or or a few months. What's the uh, game plan, I guess, with Capella specifically in terms of trying to get him up to speed with everything you're trying to do? Yeah, well, I, the beauty of Clint is we've already seen it. You know, we haven't seen it in Atlanta, but we know yeah. what that's capable of doing. I mean, he's been a, a top five center. Yeah, I'm not so worried about the fact that we didn't see Clint, we wanted to, but he, he was coming off an injury and the season was cut yeah. short. So, you know, bad luck more than anything, but you know, he is a guy that's going to be a, a very solid piece and anchor to what we do on both ends of the floor, uh, specifically defensively, you know, his ability to rebound, to, to defend his position uh, and protect at the rim. And, you know, you guys mentioned earlier about, you know, some of these guys being 28, I think Clint's still only 25. Wow. That's that's crazy. You know, um, offensively, when you guys had Trey Young on the floor, you were a good NBA offense. Um, He's already become one of the stronger offensive weapons that we have in the NBA. But, you know, 
again, it's been a theme of this this discussion is how young the team is. How do you balance Trey Young's excellence on offense and his sort of ball dominance with the development of your other young guys offensively? That's the challenge for me as a coach is to put the pieces of the puzzle together. You know, we have a lot of young guys that have that have come into the organization and grown in the organization. And, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you have injuries, you're kind of putting these pieces together on the fly. And, and Trey has been the consistent piece. In the two years that he's been here, I think he's still missed less than 10 games combined. So we do rely on him. And, he, and, he's, and he's special. He's gifted. He's an unbelievable talent. Like all young players, the growth and the maturation of their games and their roles and how they incorporate and how they involve themselves with their team is part of that part of that challenge. Uh, the one thing I, I loved in the last dance is, you know, Michael Jordan was tremendous playing under Doug Collins in, in terms of his accolades and number and defensive player and, and, and scoring right. at the highest rate. And, and Phil came in and said, you're not going to average as much because you're going to have to move the basketball. You're going to have to make basketball decisions. You're going to have to empower guys. And Michael was completely on board because it was about winning. But his role changed and, and <laughs> accolades had to adjust. And it's not like he wasn't an MVP. It wasn't like he was yeah. the best player in the league. He just had to do it differently. We're all going to have to do it differently. Trey will, DeAndre will, Cam will. Um, and that's that's the challenge I face is how to incorporate all these guys to maximize our ability as a team to be efficient on both ends of the ball. Yeah, I don't know if Michael was completely on board. <laughs> <laughs> and why should he? And why should he? <laughs> part of, uh, part of, part of uh, buying in is also recognized. And I'm sure the other guys weren't like, hey, I'm getting the same amount of shots as Michael. Right. Which is great. I think they're all smart enough to, to know Michael needs more shots as well. Yeah, no, no question. But it's funny you mentioned it's funny you mentioned Michael because I did want to ask you, like, with regard to the to the eight teams that aren't going to be in Orlando, I don't even know. I haven't had a chance to, to talk to uh, to everybody about it. Is there a possibility that some of you might be able to scrimmage one another? I mean, you're in proximity, relatively speaking, to the Hornets, for example. I mean, that's what we're waiting on. Is obviously Orlando and the resolution of Orlando and, and their logistics is important but we're you know our gms for the eight teams that aren't going to orlando have been in in um in connection with one another they've had a number of meetings and put together a proposal to send to the nba and they've met with the nba officials on you know some of the things that, that the nba can mandate to help us you know gather our players and get them into market and, and allow us to train and work with our guys and potentially get to a site and a location and have the opportunity in a very, you know, very contained and short visit so that we can scrimmage each other, you know, maybe for four or five days or five or six days. I forget the exact amount, but the proposal was geared towards that so that, you know, it's a competitive disadvantage if we're not able to work out with our guys as as the other eight teams while these other teams are. And, you know, at the very minimum, every team is going to have six weeks, uh, seven weeks of action. And so we just want that same opportunity because that's, that's a huge part of our development. Lord, I want to ask you, you're one of the rare guys in the NBA in a position of power who sort of grinded it out and isn't a former player, right? Um, for instance, like GMs, you don't see many instances, examples of, say, like a Masai Ujiri who didn't play in the NBA, 
um, is black and just sort of grinded his way to a prominent position. Do you think the pipelines are such that they're open enough and they're working in such a way that enough black people who are like yourself, who aren't ex-players, are getting the opportunities necessary to prove themselves and get a head coaching position? Well, I mean, let's start with the, the obvious. There's only 30 spots. And, you know, I, I think uh, we'll always be able to say that, that there's someone missing out on an opportunity and deserves an opportunity. Um, and then you got to play the other side is, is, you know, as a coach right now, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping some of those guys don't get an opportunity because I have job security. <laughs> so, you know, you, you have to, I think, uh, I think, you know, we all want to fight for job security. So, you know, for me and my situation, you're hoping you get time to develop these guys. Um, and then you just go back. Well, if that's the case, well, how many jobs should there be opening every year? And then you go into who should be able to fill them, you know, and I, and I know it, you know, each situation is unique. And, um, I think we all feel that all candidates should have an equal opportunity to, to, to be interviewed. It's really hard to, to say it, um, from that standpoint. Now, if we're misrepresented, and I think we can always evaluate that, you know, if there's only three African-American coaches in the league, such as ours, uh, at any point, I think we, we, you know, we've missed the boat on something that something, something's got to be addressed. But, you know, if we get to, we, I think we have seven or eight right now, if we get to 10, you know, if we felt like, all right, we, we've done it. Is it, what's the number to say that, you know, it's been fairly represented? I don't know. And I know that it's going to, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a revolving door. I have friends, you know, coaches, assistant coaches that have had these interviews and opportunities. They haven't, you know, landed the job, Dave Vanderpool, Jamal Mosley, um, guys like that, that um, are, are right there. Adrian Griffin has, has done it for a few years. Uh, and so you, you, you want to, you're hoping that someone has gets the opportunity that, that Dave Fisdell has had and, and JB Bickerstad has had, and, and I have had moving forward. Cause we all kind of paved, paved the way and, and then worked together kind of on the same timeline and you just encourage when you see another young African-American coach who's put in the work, uh, who has the credibility and, and earns or has earned the respect. You just hope that um, they benefit from it as well. Well, coach, man, I know you've got an incredibly busy schedule um, as you try to navigate all of these uncertain waters, man. And so I, I, I sincerely thank you for, for coming on and, and talking about these things. Um, I think uh, dialogue is always it's it's crucial. Uh, as we try to figure these things out um, and, and to have young, young, relatively young, I'm, I'm older than you. So relatively young voices speaking out on these things, man, is, is um, it's so important and it's so necessary. And I, and I thank you for that. And, um, you know, continued success as you, as you continue to, to grow and build the right things down there with the, with the young, young Hawks team, man. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me on. Thank you, Lord. Man, thanks again. Really appreciate it. Um, and I just hope, Waz, I hope that, uh, you know, people understand how hard that job is. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that, that people really understand. They think it's an, you're in the NBA, you're supposed to win. And I don't think they have any idea how hard it is to win as a young first-time head coach with an incredibly young basketball team. I don't think they have any idea how difficult that job is. Right. Part of the reason why um, Lloyd Pierce got the job is that the team 
was terrible. <laughs> right. Right. And so they needed to change. They had to bring somebody else in. And so, you know, he's he's getting the opportunity to coach a young, what we call rebuilding roster. And that takes Man. time. It doesn't happen overnight, right? Like, um, you see those rare success cases, like, say, the Oklahoma City Thunder of recent vintage that had Kevin Durant, James Harden. Drafted three MVPs right. in four years. <laughs> like, yeah, that happened quick because they drafted three bona fide Hall of Famers. Like, this right, is not even right. hyper. Like, those three dudes are going to the NBA's Hall of Fame. Right. Um, right. It doesn't happen like that, right? It's usually a much slower build and a slower grind. And I just hope he gets the opportunity to see this thing through when these younger guys have, you know, sort of fully developed into the players that they are going to be. I just hope he gets to see the fruits of his labor. Yeah, that's the thing. You never have any idea. Like, you don't know. We don't know what what Kevin Herter is going to become. Right. We don't know what DeAndre Hunter is going to become. You know what I mean? Like, we right. have no idea. You know, like – they and, and and we don't know what Trey Young's going to become, you know. So, um, and it's and it's always tough on that young coach who has to kind of get them started, and they almost never get to see it to fruition. Yep. And I'm I'm I was going to ask him, but I thought we were running long, and I wanted to ask him about what he may have learned from watching Brett Brown because he was in Philly for five years, and and Brett was there, and you know he was there during all of the. That's one of the, the worst ones. Of, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they were there for the worst of the process and Brett is still there. And that's very, very rare for a team that that's really going all the way down to the bottom like like Philly was. And um, I wanted to ask Lloyd about that, but I didn't want to monopolize his time. So yeah, Brad, Brad's um, GM was sabotaging him, man. Was- yeah, well, that, that, that's, that's another podcast. <laughs> so, um. But anyway, man, I want to thank you. Thanks for getting up early, Waz. Appreciate it this week, man. No problem, man. It's no problem. We got if we if we get the opportunity in a time like this to talk to a young black head coach in the NBA, the most you know the the league, the most visible league that is so closely identified as being quote unquote black, right? Like right. we say this all the time on here. The NBA is the black league. You know, (laughs) like that's just what it is. Right. And they like the, 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 the demographics of the NFL are not dissimilar from the NBA, but I, you know, and I want to reiterate this to people when, when they, when you watch turn on ESPN for Monday night countdown, they're not playing Kendrick Lamar. They're not playing (laughs) J Cole. Okay. (laughs) They're playing Hank Williams. Okay. And there's a reason for that. Right. right? That's, That's right. those are choices. Those are conscious choices that these organizations make, these corporations make. Um, and the NBA yeah. makes a different choice. Um, and right. that comes yeah. with certain things. And, you know, that's why I just think it's important that we always highlight that to our listeners. Um, we're not just making this up. Like this is just, this is what it is. Right. It, it's, it's real, you know, and that's why I'm glad that, that the guys are, are, you know, being taking an active role in, in things that are going on in their communities um, because, you know, they are a part of their communities. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's just different um, than it is for the other sports. So um, anyway, I want to thank all of you for listening in this weekend. And, and if you get a chance, you know, we are in the midst of a 30 day free trial here at the athletic. 
Um, we want to make sure that you are aware of it and take advantage of it. So if you go to theathletic.com slash hoops adjacent, one word, uh, you get 40% off uh, any new subscription. And you can try it free for 30 days. Let us know what you think. And let us know what you think about the show. We're on Apple Podcasts and all your other fine podcast delivery systems. Please leave a nice five-star review. And if you don't like the show, as we always say, keep it to yourself. See you. Welcome to Hoop. The comic is... Adjacent on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hoop. The comic is... Adjacent.